Get out of my office. Get out of the hospital. Go into the community. Spend time with these folks. Um, spend time walking the streets, driving the streets, turning the corners, and find out what's really going on at the ground level. Hey, what's up? This is Corey Dion Lewis, clinical health coach and host of the Healthy Project podcast. Now, the research shows that social determinants can have a greater impact on your health more than healthcare or lifestyle choices. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss how to improve health and reduce health inequity by speaking to healthcare professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a review. Or you can also make a donation to The Healthy Project using the link in the description. It takes 30 seconds and it's super easy. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Now let's get started. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Healthy Project Podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. Uh, I have a great guest in the building today. He's the new CEO of Broadlands Medical Center here in Des Moines. I have Dr. Anthony B. Coleman. Dr. Coleman, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. I appreciate it. No, thank you. Uh, thanks for this opportunity. I appreciate uh, being able to, to talk about what's going on at Broadlands and kind of share my thoughts on healthcare in Des Moines and the way forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you know, be before we begin talking about, you know, everything that's going on, how about you tell the people a little bit about yourself and, you know, what gets you up in the morning? No, absolutely. Um, so I, a um, little bit about me, I'm, I'm from California, born and raised in Los Angeles and uh, moved to Des Moines specifically for this opportunity. I never uh, had been to Des Moines before, um, before now, but I really enjoy it here. Um, the people are really nice and the communities are really nice and, and y'all got some good food too. Um, I think to answer the second part of your question about what gets me up in the morning, um, my, my passion, um, simply put, and my passion is eliminating health disparities and um, ensuring health justice. And so those, those two things get me out of bed in the morning. Awesome. And I was a part of that, that, uh, that Nazi speak you did, you know, a few weeks ago, you talked a lot about health justice. Can you talk about that a little bit more and kind of, you know, what are some of the things that you feel like that are important that we need to be working on? No, absolutely. When you say we, do you mean the hospital or just the healthcare community or the healthcare community community in, in general? Sure. No, sure. So, when we talk about health justice, we talk about removing the barriers that cause health inequities in the first place. Um, and a lot of those barriers take place outside of the hospital. Um, barriers like access to healthy food, um, access to adequate housing, um, occupations with a living wage that provide health insurance. Those are all um really their social determinants of health and the absence of those things create barriers to health justice. And so in the health community, our job specifically, as we speak to those barriers is, well, the biggest part of our job is to ensure that we provide health care in an equitable way. And what I mean by that is when individuals come to our hospital for care, it's our absolute job and duty to make sure that we provide the same level of health care regardless of the background of our patient. And so what I mean is that if we have a 
you know, whether we have a patient that is relatively wealthy and comes from means, or we have a patient that, you know, is poor or underrepresented, or even, you know, we'll say, um, like a refugee, um, who really doesn't have access to a lot of the same things that, um, we have access to health equity means that we treat those two patients the same, regardless of their background. That's our job. And we can do that. We have the opportunity to do that really well and, and really uh, hit a home run in the walls of the hospital just by how we treat each other, how we treat our patients. But um, health equity is the, is the journey and health justice is the goal. They work together. Right, right. So it's, it's not one without the other. It, it all it all has to come together. Right. So I know you haven't been at Broadlawns for that long, and I know you have a background of population health and and a, a great background. But can you kind of walk me through when you first got here and you're trying to get a handle on maybe some of the health inequities in in Des Moines, and just trying to figure out, you know, what how you can best support the community. What was that process like, you know, trying to figure that out? You know, not like you said before, not even ever being in Iowa. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I'm actually still in the process of figuring it out. But I, I can tell you that it always starts with listening and learning um, and watching. Um, I'm in the process now of meeting with people in the community um, meeting with community leaders, community organizations, meeting with the staff here at the hospital, and really just listening to their concerns. You know, they're going to tell you what's going on. You just have to listen. Um, and so that typically takes, you know, anywhere between three to four months, depending on the size of the undertaking. But yeah, the first thing you have to do is listen. You have to be with the people and be where the people are and listen to what they have to say, because they'll tell you exactly what's going on. Um, and so that that's that's that kind of informs the direction that I go or um, what my, my battle rhythm will be, so to speak, in terms of uh, tackling health inequities. You, you know, you first have to again, you just have to listen to to the people that are living in the communities and experiencing those inequities that you aim to to uh, resolve. Right. Right. And. What are some of the, are there any similarities? Cause I know you, like you said, you came from California. I know you're at Kaiser Permanente, your whole different culture. Um, are there any similarities compared to, you know, communities in California and communities here in the Midwest that you've noticed so far? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, you, you have access issues everywhere just simply because of the way that our healthcare system is structured. Um, you have, access issues where certain people have more access to health care than others. And so when I was at my previous um, job in California, it was the same thing. The demographic was different. Um, the majority of my population in California were uh, was Hispanic. And so then the majority of the disparities were in the Hispanic population. Um, but but it's all it's the same everywhere. You know, if you if, no matter where you go, if you, you don't have to look too hard to see that they're going to be the haves and the have nots. Um, I think I think as time goes on, you're going to see that uh, line or that divide become deeper just because of our political structure. 
um, there's a very thin line, if any, between healthcare and politics. And so, you know, the, the, the political structure and the political stance that the nation seems to be taking exacerbates the difference between the haves and the have nots. But for, you know, for the most part, it's the same. I can see that being, I mean, especially for being a healthcare leader in that line between politics and, and healthcare being a thin line and one that can go, it can go left pretty, pretty easily. It feels like, you know, what is, what is that like trying to, trying to walk that line and make sure one, you're, you're doing what you're supposed to, to help the people in the community, but, but also, you know, you're, you're running, you're running a business in a way and trying to, you know, make both people happy. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really interesting question. The first thing that I keep before me is that um, you can't please everybody and you'll go crazy if you try. You're right. This is a business, um, but it's a unique business in the sense that in this business, people die every day. And there's no coming back from that. And so I think that we have to look at healthcare a little bit differently than any other industry, because a lot of the deaths are completely preventable. Um, and our job in healthcare is done. You can't really measure the success of our job, um, but but our job is done successfully when you make it to those birthday parties and when you have that extra Christmas with your family, things that you can't really measure. Um, and so for me, I think I just, you know, as we run this business, I just keep before me um, the delicacy of humanity um, people that have family members and loved ones that um, I want to make sure uh, they get to spend time as much time together as possible and just just do everything with, you know, with humanity and keeping the human element before me in every decision that I make. Right. No, that's that's good. That's good. Um When we're talking about I know, you know, we work at, you know, Broadlands, which is safety net hospital. Um, we serve a, a lot of people, a lot of, you know, minority immigrant population. Um, when, when you're thinking about solutions and you're thinking about, okay, how can we be in the community? What are some of the things that go come to mind when you're thinking, when knowing, like, Hey, we're serving a, a large immigrant population, a large, you know, black and Brown community. What, what's that thought process? Get out of my office, get out of my <laughs> office get out of the hospital, go into the community, spend time with these folks, um, spend time walking the streets, driving the streets, turning the corners and find out what's really going on at the ground level, because that's going to inform how you uh, operate in the hospital. You know, just get out of my office, meet with people, listen, do, do more listening than I do talking, um, because the demographics are changing. If you look at the um, 2020 census, the Des Moines metro area is the fastest growing metro in the Midwest. And so that demand signal is changing every day. And, you know, I can't I, I wouldn't presume to know how to meet that demand from my desk or from my office. Right. You've got to get out of your, your desk. You've got to get out of your office. You've got to get out in the street and meet the people and be one with the people. That's how you find out what's going on and what they need. So, right, that's, right. That's um, kind of a kind of a. You know, the answer is a little more, uh, it's not as simple, but that's the, that's the number one. That's the foundation you got to get from behind your desk. You got to get out of your office. Right. It's one thing seeing the stats in front of you on your desk and seeing what they're saying about this community. 
but it's a whole nother thing when you're hearing it from the actual people. Absolutely. Data can be manipulated to say anything you want it to say, you know, mm -hmm. and we have to trust and verify. And so I can see data that informs or points me in, in a particular direction. But again, it's not until I get out from behind my desk and see it with my own eyes that it becomes real to me. I'll give you an example. I met with the CEO of uh, the YMCA. Wonderful meeting. Wonderful young lady. Uh, the YMCA is doing some great things in the Des Moines area. And she mentioned a transitional housing program. And it was fascinating to hear her talk about it. But it didn't really come to life in my mind until I got in my car and I drove down there and I saw that building and I saw the individual residents outside. That's when it became real to me. Um, and that's when I realized that it was more than just a notion. So, yeah, you have to get out from behind your desk. Right, right. And that brings up another question for me, you know, Dr. Coleman, is, is partnerships in the community. How important is that not only to, you know, brawl lawns and to have those partnerships, but also for the health outcomes of the people? Yeah, partnerships are imperative. We can't do anything alone. And, and, and anyone, any person that's uh, experienced any measure of success, if they're honest, they will tell you that they didn't do it alone. Um, when we talk about health justice and when we talk about dismantling the social determinants of health, that happens outside the walls of the hospital. That happens with partnerships. As a hospital, I can't, you know, and I'm under no illusion that I can do it all by myself. I can't um, provide adequate housing and education and healthy foods as a hospital. I, I can't do it. Um, I have to have partnerships with other like-minded individuals and um, nonprofits in the community. So it's it's absolutely essential. You know, you can't you can't have any measure of success without partnership. Right. Absolutely. So to kind of uh, go into a, a different way here, as far as talking about leadership, this is something that's really been in the conversations with a lot of my friends, specifically talking about leadership, my, minority leadership and how, you know, especially with the population that uh, I serve, seeing someone like you or working for someone like you has been is is really important, especially when I'm seeing a patient. If I'm seeing an African-American patient and they're seeing me, there's that they feel there's that comfort there that, OK, I'm working with someone that looks like me. But specifically talking about leadership, in, in your opinion, how important is it to have more people of color in leadership in these leadership roles like yourself? Yeah. Um, you know, I, it's, it's very important. I, I like to think of it um, as, you know. You say people of color, we're talking about diversity. Yeah. And they're there. I like to think of diversity in four different lenses. There's the ethnic diversity or people of color. And there's gender diversity, male, female. There's generational diversity. And then there's diversity with regard to sexual orientation. All four of those um, spectrums, if you will, of diversity must be accounted for to the extent practical. Um, it's very important for um, me to see someone who looks like me do what I aim to do, um, because a lot of times we all just, you know, it's human nature. We kind of get stuck in our heads and we start to doubt ourselves. Um, but when you see somebody that looks like you doing something that you want to do, it makes it that much more attainable and that much more real. I'll give you an example. Um, when I was in grad school, 
this has been 17 years ago now. Uh, I went to a conference. Um, it was an organization called the National Association of Health Services Executives, African American Healthcare Administrators. And again, at the time I was in grad school and I had come from a background in ordinance and bombs. So I, I didn't know anything about healthcare, didn't know anything about healthcare leaders. I was, a, you know, 25 year old African-American young man um, aiming to do something that I had never done before. And I went to this conference and I saw uh, African-Americans in roles that I had only heard about in roles that Quite frankly, I didn't even think that I could achieve. But when I saw them and when they extended their hand to me and had conversations with me and some even offered to mentor me, that's when I knew that I could do it. Now, I could do it all along, but to know that I could do it made such a difference in the way that I approached uh, my goals. It, it made a difference in the way that I carried myself when I went back to school and finished my master's degree. It's so important. Representation matters. You see that a lot. Representation. Yeah. It is so true. Um, and, it, and it was the you know, that that conference was the turning point for me. And just really just just in in school, honestly, saying not thinking I was smart enough to finish grad school and telling myself, well, I'm going to take this as far as I can take it to walking back with confidence, knowing that I could do it. And knowing that uh, the way had been paved for me. So it's very, very important to see. And, I, and I'm just talking about from an ethnic perspective. Um, that happens from a generational perspective. That happens uh, from a sexual orientation perspective. You know, we have to um, we have to, as leaders, promote diversity. Diversity breeds innovation. OK, so now, mm. you know, I've, I've just talked about how diversity is important and representation is important in, in seeing uh, what it is that we want to be. But it's also important in making decisions. This world is changing every day. It's changed during the time that we've been on the phone. And so when you have diverse thoughts and diverse ideas at the table, that breeds innovation. And when you have innovation, you get the best possible outcome. So uh, representation and diversity is cr it's critical. It's very critical. And, and so in my, you know, in this hospital, we're looking at um, everything from the diversity lens, from an internal as well as an external perspective. I'm looking at diversity on my leadership team. I'm looking at diversity in my management ranks all the way down to the frontline staff. It's very important. It's, it's critical, in my opinion. Right. And it's it's one thing to to think you can do something. But to get that is something about that cosign. Not saying we need it, but it's something about that cosign from somebody that represents you. That's like, okay, I can. It takes you from a, a confidence level of an eight to a 10, and it takes you from where you're at to, you know, the CEO of wherever. And yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to agree with you. You have to, you know, sometimes it takes somebody to tell you that you can do it. You know, you could probably do it all along. But it's someone that looks like you and has walked that walk that you're currently walking to, to, to look at you and tell you that you can do it and they know you can do it. And sometimes that's all you need to hear. Right, right. So for that for that young kid out there that may be in grad school, undergrad, uh, doesn't have that mentor listening to this episode, you know, what's what's one thing that they can do to, you know, to get to where they they see themselves they just don't know that that route that plan what's one thing they can do to kind of get get on track 
Yeah, I think the, the first thing is just believe that you can do it. You know, believe that you can do it and uh, study hard, study hard, study everything that you can. Um, because when you study and you broaden your, or you, you broaden your horizon, rather, um, things that seem to be out of touch become a little bit closer to your reach. Um, but, but, but first you have to believe that you can do it. There was a quote, um, there was this old quote that I love music. So there was a quote that Barry Gordy used to say to Diana Ross. He would say, if you can think it, you can do it. And that's what I tell people. If you can think it, you can do it. So you have to think it and believe it and you can sure enough do it. Awesome. Well, hey, we've talked about diversity. We've talked about innovation, but I'm, I'm really excited to take those two things and see, you know, your thoughts on where do you see Broadlawns going from here? You know, we've we've gotten to a great place so far, you know, but where do you see Broadlawns in the future with, you know, with, you know, diversity in mind and with innovation in mind? No, absolutely. I see Broadlawns um, uh, nurturing deeper and more sacred uh, relationships with the community. I see Broadlawns being more of a nimble healthcare provider in this very diverse community. Um, I see Broadlawns really changing the way the healthcare is delivered and, and, and uh, opening up the door to what's possible in healthcare. There's so many things, a couple things that we're working on in particular that are just mind blowing, things that haven't been done in healthcare in the nation. Um, that, that we're doing because someone, you know, somebody had the idea. So in the future, I see Broadlawns being on the cutting edge of number one, um, delivering efficient care to all populations, regardless of background, that health justice that we're talking about. Right. But I also see Broadlawns, um, uh, delivering a, a specific type of health care or delivering health care to a segment of the community that hasn't been focused on before. And I'm excited about it. That, that's that's awesome because we, we you know at Broadlawns you know we really focus on I mean it, it feels like we're really known for uh, the mental health aspect which is a, a big deal you know which is definitely a big deal um, but do you feel like there are there are a lot of other areas that Broadlawns can really um, be an anchor in for this community? Absolutely, we can be an anchor in uh, refugee healthcare. Um, there are lots of Afghan refugees that have come to this country and have come to Iowa and Des Moines. Uh, we can be an anchor in that area um, leading the way. Uh, we can be an anchor in uh, a lot of different areas of care. Some things I'm, I really just want to talk about everything that we're working on, but I'm not at liberty to uh, to, to say right now. But there's there's some other areas that, that we're going to that we're going to be an anchor in. But really, the core of our business regardless of all the other things we do or wherever else we go, uh, the core of our business is providing uh, efficient and equitable health care to vulnerable populations. We are a safety net hospital. We're an anchor in this community. We're a county hospital and we're here. And, and Corey, there are people that are out in Des Moines walking around, talking around, experiencing quality of life and experiencing holidays and birthdays with their loved ones because of Broadlawns Medical Medical Center, because of the, the level or the type of care that we provide and the nature of our business as a safety, near, a safety net hospital. There are people who are alive today because of the care. And so just to make sure that we stay true to that and don't ever forget uh, why we're here, we can, you know, we're going to do some other things, some fantastic things, but um, just remember what our foundation is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Coleman, thank you so much 
for being on with me today. I really appreciated your time. Um, for anybody listening that wants to learn more about you, learn more about what we're we're doing over here at Broad Lawns, or um, just connect with you, you know, where can they where can they find you? Where can they reach you? Yeah, I, I would just ask them to go to the website um, for now. There are some other um, outreach avenues that we're pursuing. I, I, I'm going to um, look at providing a, a periodic update on what we're doing at Broadlands and what we're doing in the community. Um, what a lot of people don't know about Broadlands, you know, we, we are still a county hospital, um, but we don't have to look like or or act like or think like what people perceive a county hospital to be. There's been some really significant changes in broad lawns to the type of care that we provide. Um, and, and we haven't really done the best job in advertising that. Awesome. Well, hey, again, Dr. Coleman, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. Um, and everybody, thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I'll holler at you next time.